By staying home, you can not only protect your health and that of those around you, but ensure that our healthcare professionals and our healthcare systems can focus on those who need their help. Hello and welcome to Corona Movie Club, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, so we have a schedule of movies and we're all going to watch them independently in our own socially isolated homes and then three times a week we're going to get together over the internet and talk about them just like your mom's old book club used to do. Um, except now there's nothing old about it because it's all over the internet and we're all social isolating so that we don't help spread the coronavirus around the universe. Um, so we have people from all over North America who are participating and there's going to be different people on each call from the uh, core group. And so every episode, I'm going to come in and introduce the film that we're going to be watching, as well as the names of the people that are going to be on that week's call or that episode's call, because we're going to be doing this three times a week. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go to the movies. It's something to do. So this is another episode where we're tackling a classic that I had somehow managed to never see, um, but had heard about for my entire life. Um, 1991 coming-of-age dramedy, uh, My Girl, which was made by How- directed by Howard Zeif, written by Loris Ella- mm, Elawani, I think is how you pronounce this. Apologies to everyone. Also to Howard. I'm not confident on my pronunciation of Zeif. Zeif? I don't know. Um, or Anna Klumsky. I'm pretty sure that's right, but I'm not 100% sure. She is the lead in this movie, and she's extraordinary. I don't know how old she was, but she was like maybe 10. She was awesome. Um, and Macaulay Culkin, who is sort of, I think, maybe the most famous for being in this movie, but is actually playing a supporting role. This is very much... Anna Klumsky's movie, and uh, she deserves that because it's she's great in it. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis and Dan Aykroyd also excellent in this movie. Um, yeah, it's it's lovely, it's dreamy and nostalgic, and um, yeah, that's about it. It always makes me think of the song. Um, I don't know. It's it's a really sad film. Um, it's like a big. It's like a one of those expected cry films. Um, that there's sort of like no getting away from the fact that you are going to cry and it quickly became what, like uh, almost like a litmus test, like when do we cry and what does it say about you about the parts at which you cry? (laughs) Um, Please stay tuned for the part where I blame this movie for the uh, destruction of the bees and how that's, you know, it's actually climate change, but I blame my girl because that's the kind of analysis you're here for, I know. Um, On the call, myself, Kelly Bedard, Susan Bond, Matthew Yipchuk, and Alex Uriarte, who loves My Girl. Enjoy. So who has strong feelings about My Girl? Okay, Alex, go ahead. Okay, I hope there's strong feelings in the right direction, and they actually have no editorial review, but I just finished watching it, and I was late because I was so deep in my feelings, like ugly cry and everything right because that movie brings me back to every childhood sentiment that i ever had right from like being the weird child growing up on a street and interacting with adults in odd ways like asking them about death and being a hypochondriac and you know being a bit boyish to 
seeing one of my parents, my mother specifically, um, starting a new relationship with a man that wasn't my father um, when I first met him. In fact, I threw a snowball in his face in my spite. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and like all of these feelings started coming back to me. And it's just amazing what a movie like this can do because it's a subtle plot. It's like there's so many subtle plot points, you know, right up to uh, poor Macaulay Culkin dying by, by, by Wasp. Uh, that just brings you back to that childhood, even if that's not the childhood that you experience. And so I'm very feelsy at the moment. That's great. Um, I did not rewatch this movie recently. Um, I was saying earlier, I, so I'm a little older than all of you and a good way, I used to say like, I'm the same age as Buffy or I'm the same age as ages Harry Potter in the books, but I am actually born on the same day as the actress who plays Zeta. No way. That's awesome. Yeah, so when I saw this movie, I was that child. I mean, I didn't have all those exact same experiences, but so this movie takes me back to childhood fields because I remember everything about it. Um, mostly I am here today to uh, celebrate everything about Shelley, who even as a child, the age of Veda I loved. Uh, and I was pleased to see uh, in the few minutes I was able to rewatch that her outfits are as good as I remembered. Mm -hmm. I remembered her being the best and so cool. Uh, and now I'm an adult and I know who Jamie Lee Curtis is, so mm -hmm. all the better. She makes me want to wear blue eyeshadow again. Right? Mm -mm, mm -mm. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. <laughs> but the mini dresses oh. oh yeah wear anything she you want from her wardrobe just uh <laughs> not the not the eyeshadow um matt what'd you think uh it was my first time seeing it like ever and i was pleasantly surprised i wasn't like as emotionally affected i think as alex but i still like appreciated sort of the nostalgic factor and it was a lot i think i avoided watching it for so many years just based purely on the VHS cover slash movie poster alone, just like seeing the Vaseline late eighties, early nineties glamour shots of like the two kids looking all sentimental, just never really sparked any interest in me. But like, yeah, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And I was anticipating that there would be a lot more Macaulay Culkin, which is part of the reason I never really wanted to see it. Not that I don't like him because I think in like his later Home Alone-esque era years. He's like really good and a really amazing actor, but just like really young, obnoxiously cute Macaulay Culkin has always kind of annoyed me, which he kind of annoyed me in this too, but there was like just enough of him because I didn't realize he was just as supporting a character as he was. And like, I loved the main kid, Zeta, was that her name? Yeah, Veda yeah. with a V. Veda, yeah. Veda. I loved her and I loved... Um, it, was, it was Dan Aykroyd, right? And Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, mm -hmm. it was just a really yeah. solid cast. And I didn't expect it to be so heavily focused on death and the acceptance of, like, the concept of death and just how that was, con like, a constant motif throughout the entire movie, just, like, with the fish. Actually, there were multiple fish that were kind of But the fish she caught off the dock, mm -hmm. that was heartbreaking. Yeah. Just like death was constantly present in this movie. And like I went into it knowing that Macaulay was going to die eventually because it's like however many years old this movie is now. So like it's one of those things that is a spoiler that you just can't really avoid. But just with that 
knowledge, I think I appreciated a lot of the narrative choices a lot more leading up to it. Like, yeah, like I think it's a really nicely well-constructed movie. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I had never seen it either. Um, And I had very similar reaction where one, I thought that he was like a co-lead and he's very much a supporting actor. Um, I found him adorable though. He was not annoying to me at all. I just like loved his little face. I didn't think he was like very good. Like all of his line mm-hmm. readings were exactly the same. Blah, blah, blah. Yes, and I that's don't, what it is. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not someone who who necessarily thinks that like Macaulay Culkin isn't a good actor. I actually think he's quite good. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I think he's just so cute. And they were so precious. And he does, there's this mm-hmm. one part near the beginning when she says to Shelly that she doesn't mind the other girls because she only spends time with people she finds intellectually stimulating and yes. then it cuts to Macaulay Culkin and he just gives Shelly this little like <laughs> it was the most winning thing I was like okay kid you're cool he's just like this knowing smile of like I'm intellectually stimulating <laughs> about um, this movie were those like little moments like the looks and the glances and um, Veda's uh, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a critic. I can't tell, you know, like, you know, I, I don't, I can't critic, I can't criticize, you know, uh, uh, acting, you know, as well as the rest of you can, but the expressiveness on her face is what got me 99% of the time, right? Because that was, I think the height of her communication with adults, um, in the movie, she was very for- frank and forward with like very, with with everybody, but it's the little looks that she gave the adults in her life that, to me, showed her sophistication, right? And she's um, she's a self actualized child, right? Which for me is horrifying. Children don't need to be self actualized; they just need to be children. Uh, but she knew how to navigate a very difficult terrain of being child and being adult and having one foot in the living world and one foot in the dead world. And uh, when I realized that, uh, it gave me existential dread like I've never had in my life, but it also gave me like a rush um, because um, it's not an element of the movie that I remembered before uh, when I watched it in my teenage years. You know, when I first saw it with my uncle, I remember the day I saw this movie with my uncle who's more like a brother to me. but that's, anyway, that's a long way of saying impressive word beta. Yeah, um, that's Anna, I don't, Klumsky, is that how you say that? Klumsky, I don't know. I think it's Klumsky. She's, she's excellent. She's on Veep now. And so that's a very startling, or she was on Veep, it just ended. Um, that's a very startling contrast because she's just like this, like terrible sort of epic potty mouth, like really mean, oh. bitter, uh, like political worker. She's, she's brutal. And I, to the best of my knowledge, she doesn't have a lot of other major credits. Like she's very much like the girl from my girl and also Amy on Veep, which is a very weird contrast, but she is, you're right. She's excellent in this movie. And especially the first few scenes when she's like taking the boys to see the dead body. And um, like, she's just, she's the coolest freaking chick. <laughs> like I was sitting there, I was like there she would be the coolest girl in school like she's so fun and like chill like chill but she's obviously got her a lot going on but she's just like very like non I mean she's a hypochondriac but she's got like sort of non-neurotic in the, like choosing how she about about her own behavior and her own words she just mm-hmm. kind of is completely herself and that's like what you're talking about with being self-actualized like she was just such a really cool kid um and I love that she had 
Macaulay Culkin, like he was obviously not like a credit to her social life, but she stood up for him. She wasn't like, she didn't do that kid thing where you're like ashamed of your actual friends and like abandon them to play with the cooler kids. Like she stood up in front of the other kids for him and then just like was totally loyal to him. Um, I just think she's, she was really neat. Um, I, I could have used a little bit more plot because for me, um, like Matt, obviously like how Macaulay Culkin dies in this movie is one of those so famous pop culture things that everybody just knows it. So going in, this was the first time I saw it and um, I knew that that's where we were headed. So the whole movies to me almost seemed like it didn't really have a plot. It was just a series of, um, foreshadowing events to lead to like everything was hinted oh he's allergic to everything oh when they like i mean obviously all of the death stuff and then when they have the the is that a child a coffin for a child oh no no it's just for really short people and then when they do the the hit the bee's nest down in the first place like all of that stuff is just like it's like a slow march towards this inevitability almost like it almost felt like one of those movies where they open with a prologue telling you what's going to happen Mm. So then that becomes the story because there is no real, in like a screenwriting one-on-one sense, like what's the inciting moment? There's nothing happening in this movie. I did forget about that part. And in fact, when I rewatched this movie, I kind of forgot that it was about a girl that grows up in a funeral home and, and death, which is perhaps why this impacted me a bit more. Um, and, and I'm not going to get all dark and gloomy about this, but I, I lost my mom and my stepdad in the last couple of months, not, not COVID related stuff. They, they, they were just, you know, they passed for their reasons. And, um, you know, co- comparing and contrasting the experience that she has as a child working in a, you know, living and growing up in a funeral home with a single dad, you know, and having all of these various adults and experiences to Kelly's point, there's nothing, there's no like, there's no climax except for Macaulay Culkin's death, but in its own way, everything that she's experiencing is like its own weird climactic narrative, has its own climactic narrative. Like having a new potential parent in your life, whether you like them or not, is huge. Seeing a dead body for the first time is ginormous. Losing your best friend, regardless of your age, and especially as a child, is ginormous. Um, you know, telling your teacher that you love him the way that your dad loves Sally, ginormous. <laughs> now, for an inciting incident, what about Shelley showing up? About oh, yeah. Narrative. Oh, it, I, can you guys still hear me? Sorry, wait, we can. You cut out, which is why I talked, but you, oh. you keep going. <laughs> can you, okay. Yeah, it said my connection is unstable like everything else. Um, I'd, anyway, it's less this, I feel like this movie for, for at least me is not a story that about its uh, narrative structure. It's about, uh, introspection, I guess, at, at least that's, that's from, from what it was for me. And it's, um, it's about, it's almost like seeing yourself in the mirror after a really long time. That's a very interesting perspective. Yeah, not everything has to be about plot, right? Um, like the tree of life wasn't about plot i hate tree of life why have dinosaurs if they're not going to chase anything it's my motto there uh but uh, as for there being no plot and no inciting incident uh what about the arrival of shelly i mean she doesn't lead to the 
dying, but she mm-hmm. definitely like her presence in Veda's life. Uh, like that is part of Veda's maturation over the course of the movie is coming to terms with first this super cool lady who dresses really well, but then getting together with her father and sort of like resolving that and resolving into her new family unit, I think could qualify. Yeah. Well, no, that I, does start with an insight. I agree that it would be considered maybe an inciting moment because certainly it's like where it's our entrance moment to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but something I find interesting is like I was trying to think of like if I was to synopsize this movie if someone asked me what is it about I'd be like um it's a little girl who's obsessed with death and she has a friend it's like because you can't like if you try and tell say what it's about you end up kind of leaving out Macaulay Culkin which like Mm -hmm. is the only thing anyone knows about this movie if they haven't seen it is Macaulay Macaulay Culkin so I just looked it up and according to IMDb this the, the movie is a girl realizes that her life has turned upside down due to her experiences with an unlikely buddy so that's just inaccurate, right? Unless, <laughs> I don't is know what Jamie that is. Curtis the unlikely buddy? Is she? Because why no. would she be called a buddy? Yeah. And like, she definitely doesn't realize her life has been turned upside down. That's not... Right. I just think mm-hmm. like this movie is one of those sort of like tone experiments or like theme explorations that makes it difficult to really describe. Mm-hmm. No, I feel like it reminds me of Stand By Me in a lot of ways mm-hmm. where that movie, when I saw it, it, it was again, a movie that I knew a lot more about before seeing it than most other movies. And like, I had ideas in my head about like what it would probably turn into. And then it didn't really like the things happened that I knew were going to happen. Like they found the dead body and whatever, but it like, wasn't about that in the same mm-hmm. way that this like, wasn't about Macaulay Culkin dying. And I think it's, just like when I think of Stand By Me like that's to me like summons up the really emotional nostalgic feels even though like I've really had none of those experiences in Stand By Me but for whatever reason I feel like it just taps into like a certain part of your memory about what it is like to be that age and the relationships that you have and how those shift and develop at certain turning points um you know, I think the big difference between Stand By Me and this is that, like, I think the emotional gut punch in Stand By Me is the fact that it's an adult reflecting on, like, his childhood friends. Even though I think it's still a similar emotional trajectory in both stories, because it's both, like, kids around the same age that either, well, I guess she doesn't, no, she, no, the kids in Stand By Me don't really lose anyone, but they're still, like, at a point when things are about to move from like one type of childhood into the next phase of their lives. And even though it's not like marked by any one specific thing, it's more just the culmination of all the little experiences that lead to that. So I guess I'm just describing a generic coming of age story, which is kind of what this is and kind of what Stand By Me is. Yeah, but I think of coming of age stories, I mean, Stand By Me is sort of always referred to as a coming of age story, but I tend to think of them as being longer, like sort of taking place over a longer period of time, um, because... As opposed to a coming of stage moment? Yeah. Coming of age moment. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think think part of this movie's magic is its sort of inexplicability. Um, how did you feel though about, um, I'm assuming both, excuse me, I'm assuming both Alex and Susan, the first time you saw it, you didn't know how it ends. Um, 
I would assume. So how, how do you guys feel about seeing it again, having, knowing the ending and sort of cluing in on all of those moments of really quite heavy um, foreshadowing? Uh, what, were you genuinely shocked at the death the first time you saw it? And um, how do you feel about that being peppered in so completely through the whole movie? Because at a certain point I started to go, okay, I know, I get it. I mean, it's it's hard to remember something that happened more than 20 years ago, uh, but I think I was shocked by it. Um, it is in my brain, in the exact same part of my brain that holds the, the novel. Did you ever read Bridge to Terabithia as a child? <laughs> I read the Wikipedia description of the movie's plot. <laughs> Good enough. Uh, yeah. Because they're in the, they're, they just hold the same place of this like devastating loss of your friend. Um, so I don't remember, and I definitely was not as subtle uh, uh, or as sophisticated uh, viewer as I am now. So I would not have picked up on all of the heavy handed, a child's gonna die, this child's gonna die of this thing, um, the way that I can now as an adult. Um, I remember being just totally devastating. I mean, you're frozen Alex so I'm just going to talk over you um, uh, it's it's still devastating like I thought because I was so like tuned into what this movie is and how it was going to end um, and I'm starting to get a little annoyed I thought that I was immune and then I'm going along I'm going along and then he can't see without his glasses and I just disintegrated <laughs> I was just done forever. <laughs> and at that point, it's that because you know it's coming that it's so brutal, right? Like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Alex, sorry, what were you saying? You froze while you were talking. Yeah, I'm just saying to stop talking once I see like all of your faces looking way too angry. <laughs> okay, this is too focused. Um, what was I saying? Um, I have forgotten what I was saying. I had asked about the foreshadowing. The foreshadowing. I'm not a sophisticated movie viewer, um, but I can pick up on some of the clues now. It's like, oh, see a mood ring? No, it's coming back. Oh, see a beehive? No, it's coming back. Oh, heavy themes on, like, death? Like, someone's gonna die. Someone's gonna die. <laughs> someone's gonna die. Uh, as a child, um, you know, I'm not sure I picked, I mean, I, I, I guarantee I didn't pick up on it. Uh, but then I think back to all of like the Disney movies that I grew up on, right? And there's always some, someone missing in these movies. It's usually a mother, you know, thanks Disney. Um, so I feel like it's kind of built in. It's a built-in expectation is like, hey, tragedy and horror will occur. Um, and it's gonna gut punch you in a way that you, that is very evident, but is also, not evident at the same time, you know, depending on your level of maturity. And then, but but again, watching it at this time, like it's almost it's almost cheesy. Mm. It's almost cheesy. So um, I figured it out um, early, and mostly for me, it was like a meditation on what smart children and observant children living in unusual circumstances are like. And um, that for me showed itself much more in this uh, meditation circle that she participated in. Uh, you know, she was like holding hands and everyone's like, I could feel that you were one with the earth. 
and I could feel that you had real inner peace. And she was like, I felt that you had a hangnail. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm here for with this movie. I'm not here for the Macaulay Culkin tragedy. I'm not here for, you know, I'm not even here for Sally, who I adored in this movie. I'm here for this little girl uh, minimizing her role distance between every facet of life that she's participating in. The living, the dead, the adult, the child, and the inherently terribly lonely, you know? She's just there. I would not say you're an unsophisticated viewer at all. Yes. Oh. You started it, was very, it was quite articulate. That's, it's, oh it's, that's, a, that's a very sophisticated way of watching. It's only when Kelly's in the room. Otherwise, <laughs> myself, I'm watching absolute shit. <laughs> that I'm, I'm garbage <laughs> <laughs> Kelly you're muted you can swear is what I said <laughs> <laughs> I definitely dropped an f-bomb in an earlier one and nobody said anything I don't I don't mind <laughs> these aren't for children <laughs> well this is a children's movie <laughs> is it <laughs> yes I watched it as a child yeah. <laughs> yes but should you have I think so. It did make me appropriately scared of bees and everything that stings. Um, I don't actually think that's appropriate. I actually think this <laughs> this movie, like what it did to bees, is um, mm. slander, and mm. has had actual serious ripple effects on <laughs> like the environment. <laughs> <laughs> a larger sense. Whoa, like the, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is your theory the reason the bees are disappearing? <laughs> it's not just my girl, but it's like the cultural cultural representation of bees. Is <laughs> like the cultural representation of sharks. Um, or like there's a whole bunch of I once met a friend of a friend who was um like a what what was she? She was like an environmental advocate in like specifically in the uh, animal realm and the way she explained it to me was like okay it's easy to get people to want to protect the pandas and to like donate money to try and rally around protecting the pandas but it's oh, really yeah, they're hard. adorable right they're wonderful ridiculous mm -hmm. creatures who refuse to uh, propagate their own species however <laughs> however um did you see those two did in that zoo now and maybe they just needed some privacy <laughs> sure sure <laughs> Maybe that was it, but then, but then it's impossible to get people to care about like this particular particular type of slug that she mentioned, right? But that type of slug is really important to the ecosystem. People are really scared of bees, and especially because we can't tell the difference between bees and hornets. True, we bees will ne will never hurt you unless they're really scared and feel threatened, and yet we all react really strongly to bees. We hate them. We like try mm -hmm. to exterminate them. And like that's not good. And one of the reasons is because we're all scared of bees because of my girl. <laughs> that's okay. my theory. Okay. It's a okay. good theory. Okay, that is way less crazy than I was actually. Thank you. <laughs> no, but it I, is it is an interesting thing to track, like which animals get positive representation and which ones are considered "quote unquote" bad guys yeah. in um, pop culture. Yeah. Well, so. look at dogs. I mean, Dalmatians. And I only know this because my mom was um, a good dog breeder. Right. Uh, and, and so I grew up with a lot of different kinds of dogs. And when 101 Dalmatians came out, everybody and their fucking mom wanted a Dalmatian. So the overbreeding of Dalmatians started happening. And what they didn't know that they were doing that's currently happening now with pit bulls is they're breeding an aggressive trait. 
So they are perceived and in fact, um, in reality, very aggressive and erratic creatures. Now that'll go away over time once they stop um, being, being super popular and being frankly abused like this. Um, mm. but what you're saying about the wasps and the bees and the birds and all that, um, you know, is, is true. It's like movies deeply influence our perceptions of, well, our, our, our inner world and our outer world, but also living species of insects. Yeah. Like think about how we feel about wolves from Beauty and the Beast or how we feel oh, about wolves. hyenas. That's a big one mm-hmm. from The Lion King. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is an interesting, I don't know how we got up. Well, I know exactly how we got here. I'm sorry. We took it's us beast. so off track, but like, I do think <laughs> it is not a good thing that this movie made you so scared of bees because one, theoretically, little Susan should have been smart enough not to kick a hornet's nest. Because he didn't step on a hornet's nest. He kicked a hornet's nest Mm -hmm. that he had previously downed by throwing rocks at it. So just don't be stupid, lesson number one. Lesson number two, don't be allergic to bees. That's the other thing. No, like I've never blamed bees for killing Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. I feel like even the way that it's sort of blame Beta, but I... Oh, yeah. That's like that's kind. It's kind of like blaming the bear for attacking Leonardo DiCaprio. That bear was doing nothing wrong. It was Leonardo DiCaprio's fault. Oh, I haven't seen. I haven't seen that yet. He gets attacked by a bear. That's the premise of the movie. Yes. It is. Oh, I thought it was just like a thing that happened. That was like a blip on the radar. No, I'd say it's like the main. I don't know. That's the one thing I knew going in was that there he was attacked by a bear. That there was a bear. You should add this yeah. one to the movie club and then. You know who I think really deserved that Oscar for that movie? It wasn't the bear. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think Leonardo DiCaprio deserved an Oscar at some point. So why not that one? Who cares? Should have been Um, Catch Me If You Can. I think it should have been Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, or that. I would have been okay with that too. It's 20 minutes too long, but it's a great movie. Um, Does anyone have anything else to say about My Girl? (laughs) Um, I think oh not God. just with this. Oh, sorry. Um, it's just a general observation that when I see movies that were made not within the like last ten to fifteen years, I question if they could ever be made now. And usually the answer is no. Always so no. It, it just makes me think like, what change that we can't like this movie now would be unacceptable. And another one that I <laughs> thought of, well, not unacceptable, but like it would never get made the way that it is now with like seemingly nothing of consequence happening. And I, well, right before this, I was watching the new series on Disney Plus, Prop Culture, where they like dig up old props from Disney movies and look at history and everything. And the first episode is Mary Poppins. So I'm kind of in a Mary Poppins frame of mind. And I thought of this when I saw the sequel, Mary Poppins Returns, like the vast difference between Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins Returns is the fact that very little of like related uh events happen in mary poppins it's just very episodic and then mary poppins returns has like a very distinct like there are stakes and there's a climax and like the stupid climax comes to a resolution because she uses her mary poppins powers to like fly and move the hands on the stupid clock and i'm like this is exactly what movie culture now wants movies to be as opposed to a time when people were seemingly more accepting of films that were just like a portrait of life or like episodic things so I don't know where I'm getting that with this, it, but this could be made, but it would have to be made by a lot with a lot less money and it'd have to be an indie movie and probably mm-hmm. be straight to Netflix and all that kind of stuff. Cause they yeah. do make like 
um, you know, like kid venture kind of nothing really happens. Like Kings of Summer a few years ago was amazing. Some of those kind of movies, but they are like indie tour filmmakers whose favorite movie was my girl when they were a kid and you know that kind of thing studios don't make them anymore the studios don't make any sort of mid-budget like anything over a hundred over a million dollars or over 10 million dollars but under 500 million dollars doesn't exist anymore um and that's a shame because a lot of my favorite movies are those like mid-tier studio movies from when i was younger um but you're absolutely right no one would make this movie anymore which is too bad um, my main closing thought is the soundtrack is just fabulous. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which is like not a searing insight of any kind, but <laughs> I enjoyed it. Anyone else? Uh, Shelly's outfits. Also mm, Shelly's outfits. And the camper. We haven't talked about the, the camper. Oh, I love the camper. It's a great camper. Um, yeah. On the grand scale of campers, you approve of that one. Yeah. I thought it was magical yeah. when I was a child. I expected to be less wowed by it this time. I still think it's pretty great, though. Yeah. Um, I just watched all of AJ and the Queen, so I'm a little bit campered out. Mm-hmm. Mm. Fair, fair. Um, it's like a very RV-focused series. <laughs> I'm glad Macaulay Culkin became a better actor when he got older. Because that was actually one of the things that was kind of jarring, because I went into this just with the like accepted fact that he was like a phenomenally good child actor which is something that shocks me not shocks me but like when i've watched home alone in the last year or two i go in not expecting him to be that good but then i'm just always like wowed at what a really smart competent actor he is and i don't see any of that here probably because he's younger but i would like to point out that this film is actually between the two home alones are they is it really yeah I don't know about when it was filmed, but it was released between them. Because I also was like, that child can't be the child from Home Alone. I mean, they look the same. But... He's so little, though. I know. Mm. It might, I, perhaps it was filmed much earlier, but... Home Alone... Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Home Alone was released the year before, and Home Alone 2 was released the year after. Because I cannot mm. imagine a child... Like, he's so young in this one. I can't yeah. imagine him leading a movie. Because all his line readings are exactly yeah. <laughs> Um, interesting. Here's a question for you. I've been thinking about this a lot this week because I just binged all of Waco on Netflix. Um, so I mentioned my second full epi- full series binge in a week. Um, I, so I watched all of Waco that has Rory Culkin in it. Does anyone have a favorite Culkin? Is he the same Culkin that's in Succession? That's Kieran. That that's is your Kieran. third option. Kieran is the one that I've seen the most things that I like him in. Uh, I think Rory's the best. Kieran's a little big for me. Um, and Macaulay's just kind of like wacky now. Oh, who is it in? Is it Kieran that's in um, uh, Scott Pilgrim? Yeah. Yeah. I really like him in Scott Pilgrim. That's the only thing mm-hmm. I can think of him in. So you by mean, not knowing enough I think of the that's others, what I, I mean. have to pick Macaulay. Yeah. Actually, I think Macaulay, even though he like hasn't done much as an adult, just in terms of the spectrum of child actors, I think he's like one of the best ones that has been in movies. Like one that is seemingly just a really good actor as opposed to one that is coming off as a good actor because of editing or direction or a combination of whatever, like just the way that he's able to hold his own in scenes against adult actors and like speak really intelligently, but comprehend what he's saying instead of just regurgitating words. Like he was, yeah, there was something really special about him. 
I gotta say, on the topic of child actors, guys, Noah Jupe, who's like coming out of childhood just now, is my all-time favorite child actor. And if you don't know who he is yet, watch all of his movies so that when he's super famous, you can be like, I was in on Noah Jupe early. Like I am. <laughs> with um, I'm really obnoxious about Tom Holland all the time so because he was our emerging artist in 2012. And so oh. if you get in on, on Noah Jupe, then you can, you can be as obnoxious one day as I am all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what was Tom Holland in before Spider-Man aside from Billy Elliot? The Impossible. I don't I don't even know what that the is. The Impossible is an amazing movie from 2012 um about the oh. tsunami and he it carries the entire movie and at one mm. point he literally carries Naomi Watts on his back. He just he's like 11 <laughs> and he just like just makes it happen. It's amazing. It's such a jacked little thing. The impossible and not the impossibles, like Super Family of Heroes animated Pixar film. Sorry, what? Say that again. The Incredibles. Oh, the Incredible. See, not sophisticated movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ignore me. I, I do love the Incredibles as well. Why are we talking about the Incredibles? <laughs> Because I thought I thought you said this movie with Tom Holland was the Impossible, and in my head I'm like, does she mean the Incredibles? Is she about to talk about the Incredibles? I'm seeing the Incredibles, but who's Naomi? Who? Oh, the Impossible. Anyway, it's so good. It's so good. Highly recommend. I that's my number one cry movie of all time. I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. Um, Yeah, Noah Jupe. Highly recommend if you are. a child, this is weird, like if you're a child actor fan, like if you just like are looking at. <laughs> or if you're a child actor disbeliever, you don't believe there's such a That's thing it, that's it right actor. there. He was in the, he's sort of starting to no longer be a child anymore, but he, he was the kid in, um, what's it called? The, the Wonder? quiet. Yeah, well, he's the friend in Wonder. Um, and he stole that from Jacob Tremblay, who was overrated. Uh, and then, <laughs> Um, it's because he got uh, upstaged by his friend and then he was a kid in A Quiet Place that's what it was called the silent John Krasinski movie um, and then he was in Honey Boy this year and he was in another thing this year that he was really good in I don't remember anyway he's the best um, but I like Rory Culkin I think he's the underrated sort of like quieter one and I find his succession annoying so that I'm out on Kieran My, but I do like I like Macaulay and I like him when he's in he like shows up randomly occasionally as an adult like um obviously saved as a masterpiece and then which was like teenage macaulay well he was in his 20s and then um he was in a weird movie i think last year with brecken meyer and seth green about them traveling to like thailand or something oh yeah and he like runs a boat that's his whole thing is that he's <laughs> macaulay culkin owns a boat and he like takes people sailing and he's just, he's just wacky um, and it's delightful, and it's like you you figure out halfway through, you're like, oh my god, that's Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> nice. Yeah, good time, good time. Okay, I'm gonna give Alex the last word on my girl because it lives right next to her yeah. heart. Oh, little kid adventure films, all of them, up to and including my girl, are like the soul of at least American cinema, in my view. Like. <laughs> We're all obsessed with My Girl. We're all obsessed with Stranger Things. Motel 8 was, uh, I, I think it, I think that was a movie title, was also- Super awesome. 8. Super 8, that one. See, this is why I love Kelly Bedard. Um, <laughs> you know, we all gravitate to these kinds of movies 
and, you know, and these, and these stories because we all still have those little kids still living within us and traveling back in time to have those experience feels good or at least feels validating at some deep inherent level, whether or not the movie's good, right? Like the movie could still be absolute shit, which my girl by today's standards would like not make a dollar in the box office, but it, but it feels warm and fuzzy. And that is what we need right now, people. (laughs) 